Welcome to Your Story Matters, the show where we share inspiring stories from all around the world. After you've listened to this one, why don't you tell us yours? Share your story at yourstorymatters.net. But first, here's your host, speaker and writer, Angela Schaefers. Today I have the opportunity to interview Susan Gowdy, and she is here to talk about her book, The Journey from Fear to Love is Shorter Than You Think. Hi, Susan. Welcome to the show. Hi. Good to have you on today. I'm excited for you to share about your story, to talk about your book that I think is going to be very helpful for a lot of people. But before we talk about the book and the story behind that, can you share a little bit with the listeners about you, perhaps your growing up experience, your background, things like that? Um, Well, I grew up in Chicago, and I have four brothers. I have a twin brother and three older brothers. So I I lived in the city, and I I walked a mile and took the train to high school every day. So I grew up kind of faster than faster than I would want my daughter to grow up because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was living in the city and I had to be very aware and very uh, pay a lot of attention to my surroundings because um, I was 14 years old and taking transportation back and forth to school and I was in the theater program so I would be coming home late at night and the neighborhood I lived in was kind of like its own little town you could walk anywhere you needed to go I didn't really have to drive anywhere I mean we we took transportation everywhere. And I grew up, you know, mostly in the 70s. I played outside a lot. Not, you know, not all the technology that we have now that keeps right. the kids in the house. I the was, good old days. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was kind of a tomboy because I had all brothers. So I was trying to keep up with them so that they would play with me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you see some things in your early life that contributed to you deciding to be a social worker or choosing the path you did for your career? Well, the the thing in my earlier childhood was um, a trauma that I went through before I was even three. And I, I don't know that I knew that that's what directed me down the path to social work and the career I chose. But I, I definitely know that that had a lot to do with it now. Mm-hmm. I was sexually abused by a 16-year-old neighborhood boy who lived just three houses down from me. Mm-hmm. And I do remember it. I had very vivid memories, and my mom remembers, you know, what had happened, and it was very life-threatening. He he threatened to kill me if I told anyone. I remember that clearly, his fist in my face, and I didn't know exactly, you know, what he meant, but I knew it was bad. Mm-hmm. I, I at at almost three, I knew, you know, if you step on an ant, you killed it. It's mm-hmm. dead. Mm-hmm. I knew what that meant, so I knew he was going to hurt me badly, but. I told everybody by the time I was six, I was telling everyone anyway. Mm-hmm. So something inside me, I mean, innocently telling people, you know, mm-hmm. what had happened to me and the boy had been moved away. So anyway, but I, I do, I think that that experience and surviving that and going through that, I went through the rest of my childhood and up until I was 19 with a lot of different fears and almost created some OCD type behaviors. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very afraid of the dark, afraid of certain look of certain people. I would get very scared. Mm-hmm. And when I was 19, when I was in college, that's when I was taking classes. And that's when I realized I had a reoccurring nightmare. Um, and I realized that there were some things that were going on with me. I was having some flashbacks and that's what the course was about. 
And that's where I realized how much that trauma had affected my entire life. Right. And how, how I was, and I was in a lot of pain physically mm-hmm. at 19 and I mean, so much pain. It was very, I couldn't walk a straight line down the street. I would mm. walk people off the sidewalk. I saw a chiropractor at that time and, and he told me I had the back of a 50 year old woman. So I, and I said to try a hundred at that time because I thought, I, I didn't understand why I was hurting so badly. I thought maybe I was dying from something, mm-hmm. and I, I had no idea what was going on exactly. And I started to put the pieces together. Mm-hmm. That's, Let's you know. go back a little bit to the young age of being almost three. What was that, from what you can remember, those years from three to six when you were telling people, what were some of the feelings going on for you? Did you feel support? from your family and friends, from your mom. Talk to the listeners somewhat, if you can, about that. Well, I I definitely was never told that I couldn't talk about it, and that was a good thing. And there was no child protective services or anything like that at that time. It was, I think, the next year or something. And my father, I I found out when I was older, had, had gone down and actually dealt with the situation the best he could, and the family dealt with it appropriately for the times. So, yeah, I definitely felt supported, and my mom, you know, I I just was never told I couldn't talk about it. I didn't talk to them a lot. I talked to my friends Mm -hmm. and and told my friends, even told my abuser's sister what had happened, and that that got back to his family. Mm -hmm. And it was a very, very nice family. His mother and father were very nice people. You know, they were always good to me and very nice to me, and um, the father took responsibility and uh, he actually ended up moving the family out of the neighborhood because he felt awful that three years later at six, I was still, that I still remembered it. Right. I, right. I think they, you know, it's like a lot of people think, oh, they'll forget about it. Yeah, right. I, I never forgot it. I right. mean, my life was threatened and, and what he had done to me could have killed me. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think it's important to mention that, you know, people tend to think the younger we are, the more likely it is that we'll forget or that it won't affect us long term. And actually, the younger we are, the more likely it is that we'll continue to remember those things. And in the long term, like you've already talked about, have devastating physical and emotional and mental issues because of something that wasn't really dealt with. I mean, Someone right. leaving the neighborhood is not dealing with the situation. Um, mm-hmm. Telling is not dealing with the situation. There's a lot more to it. And I'd love for you to speak to that a little bit as far as typically nowadays social services is involved. There's counseling. There's usually legal action. What is the difference between how it is now versus how it was for you? And how do you think it could have helped if you were in the situation now versus back then? I, I don't know if it would have been better, um, honestly. I, I mean, because everybody's so individual and because of who I am as a person and how I always have been, I don't know if it would have been better. And I worked for CPS if there was a CPS or Child Protective Services involved at that time because then you're bringing in so many different people and, and then there's a whole new thing that you're dealing with is how are these people dealing with the child and how are they talking to the child and what, you know, what's that connection there? And, and you have to be so careful not to turn the child into a victim for the mm-hmm. rest of their life. Mm-hmm. And it could become so dramatized and so big, but I mean, it's important that it's there because they're, I mean, I've worked with a lot of kids 
And it's important that it's there that you can pull them out of that situation if you need to, or you can go in and do whatever you need to do. In my case, which every case is so individual, I think it worked out. It was it went the way it should have gone. It went very well. I I didn't turn into a victim. I was allowed to talk about it. I had the support of my parents, my friends, and the family dealt with it the best way that they could. The the, the son was sent away. He was sent to go live with a mean old aunt is what I heard, somebody that hopefully was going to help him in some way. Well, Child Protective Services is going to take the kid out of the home and put them somewhere. Mm-hmm. So maybe in this case, it was good that he went to a loving family member mm-hmm. that was very invested in helping him. Mm-hmm. But CPS is, I mean, I yeah, it absolutely needs to be there and it can help in a lot of cases, but I think that sometimes it depends on the family and how they're dealing with those outsiders coming in and all the extra stuff that's going on if they're going to turn it into where the child turns into a victim mm-hmm. and not, mm-hmm. you know, because then you can start using that. You could, I could have used it for the rest of my life, used for not, you know, growing and expanding and moving on. And, you know, if, if, if I had a family that was going to let me do that. Right, and I understand that. I get totally what you're saying. I definitely am against putting people in the mode, especially children, of, of feeling like they're a victim and feeling like this is a big prize. I get to be a victim, and I get to have people feel sorry for me, and I get to get away with certain things because tragedy happened. So I understand that aspect of it. However, you mentioned going through 19 year, well, about 16 years of physical ailment and getting to a point where you were basically broken down so my question is if you would have had the opportunity for counseling or professional intervention early on would that perhaps change the outcome of those 16 years you spent in pain oh of course and I didn't spend 16 years in pain I want to make sure that I I mean it was probably when I was about 10 to 12 where I started and maybe that was because it's like pre-puberty and puberty and as you're going through that's when I started to start having discomfort and pain, which got severe when I was 19. Up until that point, I mean, my life was okay. I just had fears of things and didn't understand. And mm-hmm. and then, of course, on top of that, then a child gets teased for having these, you know, blood-curdling nightmares where you're waking up screaming and you kind of get picked on for not wanting to go to the basement because you're afraid of the basement in the dark and you know, running as fast as you can if you have to do those things. But, yeah, I do think that counseling or having somebody to talk with me through those things and understanding why, because that was the thing, being abused at such a young age, not understanding why Mm -hmm. am I so afraid of the dark? Why am I afraid of my own basement to go, you know, get the milk out of the refrigerator and it's like a race every time I do it? And Mm -hmm. why does my, why do I get, my throat dries up and I feel like I'm going to gag when I see certain people out on the street somewhere or whatever. It, those things, yeah, it would have been nice to have some, some someone tell me, you know, you're not crazy. Mm-hmm. There is a reason for this. And, and maybe I would have had more support from my brothers who really didn't know, you know, what they didn't know what had happened. But right. then maybe more support instead of being teased, they would have been more supportive about some of the things. Mm-hmm. That so, makes yes, sense. I, I definitely see that there would be 
benefit in that. I, I think I was lucky with how things went for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when you got to this point, I think you said you were around age 19 and there was a lot of physical pain. There were nightmares happening. Did you feel that this was related to the incident or were you just confused as to why all of a sudden you had all these strong emotions and ailments? Talk to the listeners about that part of your journey. I didn't understand what the physical pain was. I didn't understand where that was coming from. I understood the nightmare because that was always the same nightmare every night. And uh, that I, I kind of connected. But I think I tried to just ignore it. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to really deal with it. So I just just had the nightmare and got up and got my day going the next day. And, and I'm sure that's where the pain started was because I wasn't dealing with where that nightmare was coming from. And so everything in my life that triggered any of those memories, I was physically feeling all of that. So, um, yeah, I, right. I, I, but I didn't, I didn't really, the physical pain, I didn't connect that until I was about 21. And I moved to Phoenix, went to Arizona. And the chiropractor I was working with said to find somebody who could use kinesiology, someone mm-hmm. that would work gently with me. Mm-hmm. And so I found I was lucky enough to run into someone who worked with one of the techniques that I also do. I'm also a um, practitioner in it called BEST, which is bioenergetic synchronization technique. Mm-hmm. And that's where I had my big awakening and really connected all the dots and said, oh, okay, this is where this is coming from. And that probably wasn't even though until my daughter was, she was about two. And so I was a little bit older in my 20s, mid-20s. And I really had my biggest eye-opening moment when I was, you know, watching her and I loved to be with her and enjoying my child, but I started getting sinus infections. Like I never had one before and I was getting sinus infections over and over again. And I just got sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm-hmm. And I went into my best practitioner and basically waving my you know, white flag, I, I can't do this anymore. Let's figure out what this is. Mm-hmm. And best is a hands-on healing technique that gets to the subconscious. And that's where, you know, it, all the pieces came together. He was able to come up with some words and I'd never told him about the abuse mm-hmm. and he came up with an age zero to five sexual abuse. I was, I mean, I wanted to hit him at first cause I thought, who the hell are you and how do you know this? Right. And, and, but that was the day that we cleared out a lot of stuff that had been buried for a long time. The trigger was my daughter mm-hmm. and the memory of me at that age. Right. That makes and, sense. Yeah. Once we cleared that out, I, I never had another sinus infection. The nightmare went away. That mm-hmm. was huge because mm-hmm. that nightmare was every night. My husband remembers. Mm-hmm. You know, I would wake up screaming and just white as a ghost. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was um, that was the that was a huge trigger for me, and that mm-hmm. was the awakening moment. Mm-hmm. What was it like when you realized what had happened and the impact it had on you? What were some of the other feelings? Were, was there any guilt or shame? I know you've talked about fear. Were you angry? If you can share some of that with the listeners, because I think that, of course, everyone goes through their own trauma when they deal with sexual abuse, but a lot of the feelings are similar. 
So can you share some of that and how you dealt with whatever feelings came up for you along during those years that you started to evolve out of this? Yeah, I, I didn't really feel anger. Like I said, I, I really liked his, the rest of his family, and I, I never really felt anger, but I felt robbed, if that makes sense. I felt like I'd been yes. robbed of so much of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was I missed out on a lot because I wasn't able to be 100% me. I, I think I was held back. Yeah, I felt robbed, and I felt like I, you know, because of that happening, and then, it, of course, it affected my almost my entire life because I was so young. I, I felt like it took away from me and maybe what I could have been. You know, like in theater in high school, for example, I never, ever had a lead role. Mm-hmm. My confidence was definitely affected. My self-esteem was affected. Mm-hmm. All of those things. And so, you know, I felt like my power had been taken from me. Right. And maybe that I that I didn't get to do the things I really wanted to do. And mm-hmm. that's part of why I wrote the book, mm-hmm. to empower other people. Mm-hmm. Take your power back. Don't let... So, and then that's where the earlier question you asked about with the counseling and some of those things, earlier on, that would have definitely made a difference with the right counselor. Right. That understanding and being able to let go of that sooner. I mean, I still went for all those things. I just don't think I was as successful as I probably could have been if I hadn't had this trauma in my life. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. And and a lot of other people have said similar things. That it just takes away your confidence because yeah. you, that is one of the things you're robbed of is your confidence, your ability to feel like you're worthy. So I want to ask again then, was there shame and guilt did you ever feel that, like somehow you made this happen, somehow you were responsible? No, I, I don't think I felt like I was, well, okay, that's kind of a, that's a, a deep, deep question, especially because I was so young when it happened. So I always have to go through and go, well, how did I behave after that? Mm-hmm. So so there was probably shame and guilt, and and that, of course, then played into the self-confidence and all of that and and maybe giving in to other people mm-hmm. more, like not standing up for myself so much. Right. Feeling like, you know, okay, you know, whatever, we'll do, we'll do whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll do what you want me to do. Or, and, and that was probably in there too, though, feeling like if I don't do what they want me to do, I might get hurt or right. something. Right. But yeah, there was probably shame and guilt. And there was some of the way that I probably conducted myself as a younger person and looking for uh, affection. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I wasn't promiscuous, but definitely wanted a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. It felt like I wanted that boyfriend, somebody that really liked me a lot. Right. That would validate you. Yeah, that would validate me mm-hmm. as that I was pretty and I was attractive and, you know, because I had those issues too where I, I didn't ever feel that I was pretty or attractive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what would you say helped you the most to deal with those types of feelings? I know you talked about the experience of going through the gust therapy and just the freedom and the lightning, enlightening that happened with that. But are there other specific ways you can share with the listeners that you really dealt with the fears, the guilt, the shame, whatever else you were feeling about the whole situation? I started paying a lot of attention to how I was feeling and and taking a lot more responsibility for my life. Mm-hmm. And and I'm 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 just I'm hypersensitive to what's happening with my body anyway and how I feel physically or 
you know, emotionally, I'm just very in tune with that. But I started paying a lot more attention to how I was feeling and then looking at what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. And that's why the book is, you know, the journey from fear to love is shorter than you think. Because I realized that a lot of it had to do with my thoughts. Right. And where my thoughts were at. And, and But you can't, like, you know, we have so many thoughts in a day, you can't possibly focus on all your thoughts. So I'd focus on what is the feeling I'm feeling and then go back and say, well, what have I been thinking about? And then try to change those thoughts and change, mm-hmm. you know, how, so it would turn my day around. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those were, that was the, the biggest thing was becoming very aware and participating in my own life. Right. Not leaving it up to somebody else. Right. Not letting somebody, you know, lead me around by my nose and have them telling me what to do and how to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I took a lot more control over things. Mm-hmm. And that, cause that is another part of the abuse. My control was taken away. Right. And I was, and, and so taking my control back and t- taking my power back, mm-hmm. that's, mm-hmm. those are, those are the things I did. And, and just deciding that what I wanted, that I wanted to be happy and have a, a happy, good life. And how was I going to do that? Right. And that comes from within. That's not, nobody outside is going to do that for me. I have to do that for myself. Absolutely. That's very true. And I think a lot of what you're saying is just making a decision about how we want to create our lives, how we want to act out our every day and, and what we want to do with our pain. Because we all have pain and trauma of some sort, some worse than others, of course. But the choice is ours as to how we react and respond to that. So I love that you shared that because that's definitely being out of victim mode and being the victor. Right. Being solution focused instead of problem focused. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Before we talk a little bit about the book itself, one last question related to the incident. Was there ever a time or is there still unforgiveness? Have you been able to really think about this person and forgive him for his actions and really have a sense of forgiveness over the whole situation towards him. Absolutely. I've, I've, I mean, I'm going to be 50 years old in, in June, so I've had quite a bit of time to go through that. But And part of what helped me again was he had a very lovely family. Mm-hmm. I mean, his sister and his brothers and his mom and dad, they were lovely people. And so that helped to be able to forgive this person and the actions that they took. I mean, how can I not, if if I don't forgive, then I'm carrying that anger and that resentment and that pain mm-hmm. for the rest of my life, and that's only going to hurt me. It's like uh, my mom always said when we were kids, anger is like taking uh, a poison and expecting to hurt the other person, but you're you're only hurting yourself. Right. So right. I I learned, you know, when I was much younger, letting go was, was the better thing to do. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and I wish him well. I mean, if, if I think about him at all, I'm sending thoughts of light and love and hope that he has a better life that mm-hmm. he's doing well. Cause I have no idea what, what he's doing or where he's at. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Okay, good. Thank you for sharing. So tell us a little bit then about the book. What exactly would the reader discover from reading your book? How would it help someone who's either been in a situation where they've been sexually abused or had a family member or loved one sexually abused? Well, I wrote the book for, for anyone who's ready to make that change and take their power back. So it's it's for anyone who's 
it's an easy read. It's written kind of like we're having a conversation. It's like a conversation over a cup of coffee, and it's very easy. And uh, I use humor to help break the ice. But it's pretty blunt and straightforward, and it's about taking your power back. And I, I, I don't mix words or anything. I, I try to just, that's my message. It's very mm-hmm. strong mm-hmm. that um, this is about taking your power back because, you know, when I did counseling years ago, I would have clients come in and the first session I would allow them to go through their whole, everything that ever happened to them, blame whoever they're going to blame. I called it the bitch session. Let's, mm-hmm. you know, get this out of the way. But the next session, and I was working with adults and most of the people who are reading my book are are older or in a place to take more control of their life. The next session, we started from here and moved forward mm-hmm. and reminding them that they were no longer in that place. They were not living under mom and dad's roof, for example, anymore. They were on their own. They were adults, and they had choices, and they could move forward. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how the book is. The book is written saying, okay, we acknowledge this. We know that this has happened, and but let's move forward from here. And what can you do? Mm-hmm. These are the these are the things I did to help mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. and and I kind of walk them through that because I I do think that one point I wanted to make is that I think the biggest fear that most people have is their own power. Mm-hmm. It's we're we're afraid of it because we are so incredibly powerful, mm-hmm. and we're we're not really sure what to do with that. Mm-hmm. So I mean, Dr. Emoto says that. Humans vibrate. He's written the uh, hidden messages in water, and he writes that humans vibrate at 570 trillion times per second, which means we're phenomenally phenomenally powerful, and we have all this potential, but we don't we don't take credit for that, and we don't really believe it. And that's I write a lot about that. It's the power that we have within ourselves to make the changes we want to make in our life and create the life that we want to have. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot, and I I totally agree with you. And I think that sometimes it's traumatic events, it's life circumstances, uh, sometimes it's of our own doing. We numb ourselves up so much that we don't, one, realize our power, and two, start to live by that power. So I'm glad that you talk about that in your book. I think that will be very helpful for a lot of people. And as we've already said, one of the biggest ways that someone can potentially harm you or make you feel like you don't have power is by abusing you. So that is Mm -hmm. very important for people to understand that that power is still available to you at any time. Where would people go to connect with you further, Susan, and get a copy of your book, The Journey from Fear to Love is Shorter Than You Think? They can go to my website. It's journeyfromfeartolove.com. Okay, perfect. And they can also also email me through the website, too. Okay. And is the book available on Amazon? It's available on Amazon and also Barnes & Noble, and it's right there on the website. Perfect. Okay, wonderful. Susan, thank you so much for taking the time today to share with our listeners some of your story, to talk about your book, and I'm really looking forward to reading it myself, and I know that it will be a great help to many people to just hear your own story and your insight and find their own way within that. Yeah, thank you very much. 